Hello out there and welcome to the Friends Like Films podcast. I'm Britt. And I'm Greg. And this is the podcast for you to hang out with us for a bit while we discuss a movie one or both of us loves. Um, how you doing, Greg? Doing good. Yeah. A lot of work. So, you know, keeping busy, I guess. It's still, uh, I still am basically treating it like it's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I don't do much. I go to work. I'm, I try to work from home as often as possible. And that's it. I come home. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I as well work from home um, all the time. I don't go into an office and I don't think my company has plans to until at least July. So my um, you're an Android user, so I don't know if Android does this, but Apple um, iPhone makes like ad hoc little videos for you based on like like three years ago, for example, um, I went to Italy for, for our honeymoon and I checked I checked my Apple iPhone photo library today and I made like a 45 second memories video basically being like, hey, remember when you used to do things and you had a life? Yeah. Um, it was very rude. Android kind of does that. Like if I open up my photos app or something, it'll show me uh, kind of like, yeah, just like this day and yep. however many years ago. Yep. Yeah. It's a lot of concerts for me. I always get reminded of like weekends or days that I was at a concert and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when everything was still shitty, but like not as shitty. Yeah. Remember <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Like since 2016, like there was like a, I don't know, like some kind of dark cloud, four year, some kind of four year, I can't really put my finger on what it was. Like now all of a sudden as of yesterday, it seems like the cloud maybe went away. I, I can't, I can't place it. Yeah. Yeah, it's no longer like a gray storm cloud, but you know, maybe it turns like a fluffy white cumulus cloud. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but something about the last four years, I don't know what it was. Uh, but in better news, what are what are some good things you've been watching lately while we're all still going on month 10 of lockdown? I love WandaVision, which just came out on Disney+. Plus. I'm really into it. Um and then, like, I don't know, cartoons. I love all car- kind of kind of cartoons. So Big Mouth on Netflix, uh, mm-hmm. Disenchantment on Netflix. Both are really funny. Um, yeah, that's it. A lot of shows. Not a lot of movies, actually. This is the Friends Like Films podcast, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not Friends Like TV, but... Yeah, well, I've been doing my homework for these for these episodes. But, um, yeah, for some reason, I haven't been sitting down for a lot of movies. Well, let's talk about WandaVision. Um, yeah. I'll throw out a spoiler. Um, so if you want to fast forward a couple minutes, but um, WandaVision premiered on Disney Plus last week uh, based on the date we're recording this. And what did, what did you think? I liked it. I mean, it was, I kind of, I think a lot of people were surprised about like what, like what it was, how it's like these various like sitcoms, like or eras of sitcoms throughout history. Um but I kind of knew that that was going to be the deal. So that didn't like throw me off, but um, it's good. I mean, I, I like their number one doing really good, like spoofs or homages to those old uh, sitcoms. And it's cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. I, based on the previews, I, I knew it was going to be kind of that, like I love Lucy 
50s sitcom kind of thing. Um, and we, we got the first two episodes. So is each is each one going to be like a different... Like, yeah, that's what I expect. So the, the first two... And I think a lot of people didn't actually catch the differences between the first two episodes where... Because the first one was very clearly 50s. It was like Dick Van Dyke show, I Love Lucy. Yes. And episode two was then like Bewitched, uh, I Dream of Jeannie, like those. And there were very clear references to all like the two different eras. But I think a lot of people, because they were both in black and white, and maybe people, young people don't always watch those older shows. Like mm-hmm. people didn't really pick out that one was the, one was clearly the 50s and one was clearly the 60s. So episode three is will be the 70s. Yeah, because I know we, we got color at the end of episode two. Which Um, happened in the 60s. Yes. Um, I thought, well, Elizabeth Olsen. I was totally having a a brain fart moment there. Um, I loved her as Scarlet Witch in the MCU movies, but it was really great to see her have the spotlight for WandaVision, and I think she just uh, shines, and her and Paul Bettany were just, their chemistry is great. Yeah, they're great together. Um, they, you know, I actually didn't love like their whole, like vision, the vision and Wanda, like storyline in the movies. I felt like it was, I mean, it was okay. I mean, not, not, not that there was anything really horrible, horrible about it, but, um, it always felt like a distraction from the main story. Like it never, and it never really came to fruition. Like they were just, okay. They, they stole time together. It was like a nice little detail for their characters, but it's cool to see it get fleshed out. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel about it, too. And I think Catherine Hahn is great in WandaVision. Um, if people aren't... You might know Catherine Hahn from uh, Parks and Rec as... Um, oh, my God. She plays, like, the crazy campaign... Oh, yeah. ...director for... Um, um, yeah, I don't remember her name. Jennifer Barkley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's wonderful in Parks and Rec. Um, if you watched HBO's Girl, she was in season one as Jessa's. She be, uh, Jessa babysat for her kids. Right, and she's show. also she's has like minor roles in a ton of funny yes. movies. Step Brothers, in particular, is the one I always think of when she's uh, she's um, the brother's wife, and she's trying to like come on to was it Will Ferrell? Yeah, she's like really into Will Ferrell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so she's wonderful in everything she's in. Um, great WandaVision, and I'm I'm excited to to keep watching and see what they do with it. It's the first, I believe, it's the first like MCU TV series of all those announcements that came out yeah, this year. Yeah, it's the first like, so yeah, since they announced that they're making all those different shows for Disney Plus, this is the first one that came out. But there have been other Marvel TV shows before, just not on not not this like directly made by Marvel Studios. Exactly. So I'm excited for that. Um, unlike you, I have been watching movies. Uh, yeah. I, wa- <laughs> I watched um, Promising Young Woman over the weekend, and I'm not going to um, reveal anything specific because who knows? We might we might dedicate an episode to it, but. I will say I loved it. That's not a spoiler. Um, loved it. Carrie Mulligan was incredible, um, and everybody should watch it. You can you can uh, rent it for twenty dollars. I know some people scoff at that, but if you think about how much you would spend on a single movie ticket, and where most of us aren't able to go to the movies right now anyway, I don't think twenty bucks is that bad. But that's just me. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about doing an, doing this episode on uh, Promising Young Woman, and uh, it was it was my choice to go with One Night in Miami. I don't regret it, but um, I just didn't I didn't know what that movie was really about. Now I know a little bit more about it, and I definitely want to see it. Um, yeah. One Night in Miami was just a movie that I was really excited for. So, yeah, me too. I'm very excited to talk about One Night in Miami. Um, and I also watched Pieces of a Woman, which is on Netflix, with uh, Vanessa Kirby, Shia LaBeouf. Um, it, so it's very heavy performance, but I can see Vanessa Kirby prop, pr- like I wouldn't be surprised she got nominated for a, gold, a Golden Globe or an Oscar for her acting performance in it. Hmm. You can watch it on Netflix. Um, but that yeah, that's really my my two latest movies. Um, besides One Night in Miami. So I think we can get started and talk about what we thought. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah, I loved it, first of all. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it wasn't... Um, I knew it was about the four of them, um, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. I knew it was like the four of them spend a night together. That's really all I knew about the premise, and that was enough to sell me. Um, but it was like a much... It wasn't the... It wasn't the night I expected them to have. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, like I didn't. I don't know what I expected it to be, but um, but it was like way. It was like a way more serious, deep movie than I thought it was. Interesting. Gonna be. Yeah. So I'm gonna take a step back, and before I say my my initial reactions to it, um, one night in Miami, and I didn't know this going in, is actually based on a play of the same name. That I didn't know. So you did know that. I knew it was a play, and okay. I knew there'd be a lot of talking. So, like, I knew it was, like, a very dialogue-based. Okay. But I, yeah. Anyway, go I, ahead. <laughs> I didn't know that. So, it was probably 10, maybe, like, 10 minutes into the movie. And, and you can tell when a movie's based on a play, because, like you said, it's very dialogue-driven. It's, um, they're usually not that many, like, the scale of the movie's smaller, because, you know, when it's a play, you don't have a lot of, maybe not have a lot of sets, so. Right. Well, it depends on the kind of play, but yeah. Yeah. Typically. Depends on the kind of play. So <laughs> 10 minutes in, I was like, wait, I'm getting like Fences vibes. Is this a play? And right. it was. Um, but another one, movie- another movie that did that, which I really love, is called The Sunset Limited, which okay. uh, the movie was with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Tommy Lee Jones. And it's like two two old guys like that are from very different walks of life kind of mm-hmm. have this meal together. Um, I think it was Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, and uh, that was also based on a play, but I love that movie. I haven't seen the play, but I love that movie. Oh, okay. I haven't I haven't seen it. So, ba- uh, based on a play by Kemp Powers, who I looked up, and he was actually a writer on Pixar's Soul. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so, did he write the play, or did he, did he do the screenplay? He wrote the play. Oh, okay, great. And I think he also had a hand in adapting it as well. Yeah, he did the screenplay as well. Hmm. Talented yeah. guy. Talented dude. Um, and the movie was directed by Regina King, her direct directorial debut. If you don't know Regina King, I don't know where he's been for the past 30 years or so. Yeah. Great um, actress. Uh, great voice actress. Great uh, I believe she directed some TV episodes, but this is her first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think of her in Ray, the movie Ray. Yep, yep. I um, <laughs> I'm gonna show my millennial colors here. She was most recently in Watchmen. 
the yes. HB- HBO series Watchmen, and she's incredible. I think she was also an executive producer on that show. There you go. Um, but any fellow uh, millennial girls and boys listening, um, she was the like pseudo-godmother character in A Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff. <laughs> there you go. I don't know if I ever caught that one, to be honest. She um she works in the diner. She might like manage the diner, and she's like a maternal figure to Hilary Duff in a Cinderella story. I think what I remember about that movie is the commercials on Disney Channel, because mm. like I remember Hilary Duff like wearing a mask. Does she yes. wear a mask in that movie? Yes, she does. <laughs> For some reason, I have an image of her wearing a mask, and I'm almost positive I've never seen that movie. She goes to a school dance, and it's a masquerade ball kind of thing and she's wearing kind of a like phantom of the opera yeah, but not yeah. phantom of the opera because it covers the top half silver, of her face like silver yes and <laughs> yeah. for some reason chad michael murray doesn't recognize who the fuck she is which doesn't make any sense um so yeah. like she's got a very generic lower half of her lo- face chin, I, guess. I guess so yeah. you know they go they go back to school and he's like this girl was so incredible yeah i never understood <laughs> that about batman movies also like that is george clooney Clearly, under that mask. He like, has a very mean? distinct chin. Yeah, but even Michael Keaton or Val Kilmer, like any of them, like I clearly know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but back to Regina King. Uh, directorial debut. Um, and I just have to say, she is also one step, one Tony away from being an EGOT. Yeah. Um, I think she did her best work. As a voice actress on The Boondocks. She's the voice of Riley. There you go. <laughs> and Huey. Both sons. Both the main characters. Oh, really? I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah. That is very cool. Um, so let's get into casting. Like we said, this movie centers around four men. Incredible men in history. Malcolm X, uh, Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. So going into this movie... I, and we'll get into this, I didn't know much about Jim Brown. He is played by Aldous Hodge, mm-hmm. who is in Straight Outta Compton, which I have seen, yep. Hidden Figures, and most recently, the television series City on a Hill, which takes place in Boston, which I have not seen. Neither have I. Okay. So that's Jim Brown. Cassius Clay was played by Eli Gore in Ballers. Which I watched some of. Yeah, I know. I know. I knew his face from Ballers. I haven't seen the only the only Ballers I've ever seen was the first episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't end up watching, but I do recognize his face from promos. Yeah, and apparently he's in Riverdale, which I haven't watched. No, I heard. I, but I'm, the kids love. Yeah, a lot of kids love it. But there's like a whole Riverdale universe. Did you know that? There's like uh, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch show on Netflix, and then there's a show Katie Keene on uh on cw and like there's various shows that are like part of this yeah like the archie verse the archie verse yes <laughs> yeah. it's like actually a thing which i it almost makes me want to watch riverdale yeah i mean i respect that there's a lot of effort going into it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah um we have malcolm x um played by kingsley benadier which so hot right now if anybody yeah. is watching and i thought Bridgerton. he was amazing i thought he was amazing in this movie amazing he is in bridgerton on netflix which is getting everybody all hot and heavy i haven't finished it yet um he was in peaky blinders yep he was in the oa which i did not watch yeah i love peaky blinders Great yeah show. 
yeah, it's a good show. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Sorry. Brett doesn't sorry. like Peaky Blinders. No, I do like Let's Peaky just Blinders. Put it out there. Do not. <laughs> Let's not get into this right now. I think Boardwalk Empire is a better period piece show. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. But sure. I liked and respect Peaky Blinders. Yeah, I like and respect you too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and Kingsley Benadire, I have to say, he was also in High Fidelity, which was on Hulu. And that show should not have been canceled. It had Zoe Kravitz in it, and it's so good. And it was canceled after one season, and I'm still a little salty about it. Yeah. When he was, like, I, number one, I thought he was great um, as Malcolm X in this yes. movie. But I also got, like, some Obama vibes from him. Like, I feel so, like he could play Obama, like, very well. <laughs> it is so funny you say that because I saw some tweets on Twitter saying the same thing for people. Like to the point where I was like, did he actually play Obama in that Barry movie that came out a couple of years ago? I was like, maybe that was him. And I looked it up because like, I was so convinced that he was like very Obama-like and he had yeah. the look of a young of a young Obama. Yeah, I could totally see it. Um, and lastly, Sam Cooke, played by Leslie Odom Jr., who was Aaron Burr in Hamilton and many other things on, mm-hmm. on Broadway. And he was just incredible. And we'll get more into that. Yeah, and I I meant to look up if that was actually him singing, but it I, is. Yeah, okay, good. I hope so. I hope so because it looked like too it looked too good to be faked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sounded too good. Uh, we'll get more into that. So uh, that's the casting, and all the performances are great. And the movie starts off where you get a snapshot into each of their lives for a night separately um cassius clay is he loses a fight to henry cooper um so he's you know not having the best evening you have sam cook performing at the copacabana in new york in front of an all-white audience and they're just not feeling his performance um so he's not having a good time uh, Jim Brown uh, goes home and visits um, a family friend, Mr. Carlton, a white man um, on the his plantation estate, and they're having a great conversation, and Mr. Carlton's just praising Jim Brown and his NFL career, um, but when Jim Brown asked to, if he could go inside and help Mr. Carlton move some furniture, um, I'm not going to say exactly what Mr. Carlton said, but pretty much we don't allow in the, you people in the house. Right. Um, yeah, they each basically deal with their own, like kind of basically a racist situation mm-hmm. um, to kind of set up, if, if you weren't aware of what was going on in the country at the time, which apparently a lot of this country isn't aware of how things were. Um, you know, if you weren't, they set it up for you. Um, yep. Malcolm X was also dealing with at the time. He well, he was very active um, in just like social activism at the time, but he was also kind of going through his famous split with the Nation of Islam, um, and it was kind of like the beginnings of that. So they set that up a little bit too with him and his wife and his family, and how he's out. You know, basically putting himself in danger all the time. Mm-hmm. So this movie takes place in February of 1964. Um, And I was waiting for them, and we'll get more into this. I was waiting for them. I was like, the Beatles are going to come up. Um, Anybody that's listening and doesn't know me, I'm a 
huge, huge Beatles fan. And I know that in February 64, the Beatles had just come to America. And on that same trip, they made their way down to Miami. And that's the first time they met uh, Muhammad Ali. So I was like, I'm sure that's going to come up at some point. And it right, does. Because it had only happened like the day before or a couple days before this. That he the, met, they met Muhammad Ali. Yeah, or like a week before. Yeah, like, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened. He, it was the same Miami trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was waiting for that, and we'll we'll talk more about that music um, with Sam Cooke in the movie plays plays a big part. Um, so yeah, they they meet up in Miami. Um, Cassius Clay is having another fight, so they all go to the fight, and then they go back to uh, Malcolm X's hotel room, and I, I I assume they think they're going to have like a nice party night. They're going right. to kick back and have some drinks and there's going to be women and friends. It's going to be fun. Right. Which is, I guess that's kind of what I expected the movie to be. I, I was, they, I was fooled with them. You know what I mean? Like I thought there was going to be a party. <laughs> like not, not that I thought they weren't like, I knew that there was going to be a lot of dialogue and like them talking about heavy stuff that I knew that was coming, but I didn't expect the quiet setting of the movie, which was mostly just in this, in this one hotel room where Malcolm X is really trying to convince these guys to uh to take civil rights more seriously and kind of use their platform mm-hmm. i'd have to go back and watch the promotional material for the movie and the trailers but maybe maybe the trailers did make it appear to be a little bit more quote-unquote upbeat than it actually is the promotional material i remember is like mostly from the scene at the bar at the end of the movie <laughs> So like I was expecting right. them to be like in a bar drinking, like having a good time and talking about race and social activism. Right. But uh, no, it was a lot more serious than that. Yes. So I will, um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Jim Brown's role in the movie. Um, he's definitely the person I knew the least about going into this. You are my sports guy. Yeah, so Jim Brown is one of the all-time great running backs in the NFL, one of the all-time great players in the NFL, and this was at like the height of his career. Um, and what you know, team? I, what team did he play for? The Cleveland Browns. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and he was the rushing champion. He had the he had the like a ton of records in specifically the most yards in a season. Um, he had just set it, and they even mentioned it in the beginning of the movie. I think it was eighteen hundred and something yards. Now it's over two thousand. Um, so his record that they said, they even made a comment of it saying it would never get broken. Um, that it, actually people said that about his record for a long time, but then it did get broken. <laughs> who broke um, it? Uh, I don't remember who actually broke the record, but I know a couple guys have been past 2000 now. So Adrian Peterson, I believe holds the record. Um, even this year, there was a guy named Derek Henry who went over 2000. So 1800 is 1800 still a very good season, but it's yeah. not record breaking anymore. Interesting. I thought his role in the movie was very, I mean, to me it was dwarfed by the three other guys. Like it was. Yeah, I agree with that. I felt like Malcolm X really held those other two guys to the fire. Like trying to get them to either convert to Islam or use their platform for more change and, and, um, and you know, speak towards the experience of Black people in the United States at that time, mm-hmm. and in the world really, but mostly in the United States. Um, but Jim Brown kind of got let off easy. I don't know if that's how it actually went down, or if it's because of how Jim Brown is as a person, and that's just, maybe that was just his relationship with Malcolm X. 
Um, I don't know, but I, yeah, it led to his role being a little bit smaller, but he also was the voice of reason in a lot of different moments in that movie. You know what I mean? That's true. That's very true. Um, yeah, like you said, Malcolm X was really the one that was holding court in that motel room. Um, he is, con- well, at this point, not really convincing because Cassius Clay was was pretty much set that he was going to convert to Islam. Right. Yeah. It seemed well. It seemed like he was ready to he was ready to convert, and that he he understood that it was going to be a certain way. Obviously, it turns out that it, Malcolm X wasn't. There were things that Malcolm X wasn't telling him, which didn't change the didn't change his his eventual conversion to to islam but uh there was some friction between the two of them Mm -hmm, for sure my one of my favorite parts of this movie that i really enjoyed was the the ties to what was going on in the music industry primarily with sam cook at the time Uh, i knew i knew a fair amount about sam cook going into this movie i didn't realize how much of a like businessman in the industry he was. I knew he was incredibly successful as a singer songwriter, but I didn't really know much about him like starting his own like label. Um, yeah, was... and I think he was pretty revolutionary in that regard. I don't think there were a lot of black artists doing it at the time the way he was doing it, and right. really like kind of running the show behind the scenes. Right. Which um, look, I think there was a really and it's hard for us to make a lot a lot of commentary on race right because we are come we come from a, priv- a privileged place you know what i mm-hmm. mean so you have to take all of our commentary with a grain of salt um you know I, it was it was really interesting to, for, to me to hear like what sam cook's approach to changing the world was you know what i mean where it was like that it made a lot of sense and i can i and i understood that point of view and I also totally understood why Malcolm X didn't wasn't happy with that. You know, he, he felt that Sam Cooke could do more. You know what I mean? I yes. I see both sides, and I I understand the motivations. Um, and it's got to be it's got to be insanely tough to feel that level of responsibility for any for any of those four guys. Absolutely, it was funny to hear Alan Klein's name being dropped um, as a Beatles fan. If if you don't know who Alan Klein was he um, managed the Rolling Stones for a bit he also was the one after Brian Epstein the Beatles original manager passed away that John Lennon and all of the Beatles except Paul McCartney wanted Alan Klein to come in and manage them and it caused like a big rift between the Beatles and obviously the Beatles eventually broke up Um, so it was funny hearing Alan Klein in like the the early days of his career uh, managing Sam Cooke uh, but what was very interesting was hearing the story behind A Change Is Gonna Come and what was kind of the inspiration for Sam Cooke to write that iconic, beautiful song. Yeah, a song, I, which, it, I mean, look, it's a classic, but I feel like a lot of people, there's been so many versions of that song recorded that a lot that Sam Cooke's original version, I feel like, doesn't get enough attention. Not these days, at least, but... Um, That's the only version I know. Oh, there's a ton. There was a version in the 70s, my favorite version, by a guy named Baby Huey and his band, The Babysitters, Baby Huey and The Babysitters. Um, and he was like, 
he also died very young and he was like kind of like he burst onto the scene he had one album multiple hits like super powerful voice everybody thought he was the next big thing and then he very suddenly died oh damn um, so it was like a tragedy but his version of the song is actually my favorite oh i'll have to listen yeah um so malcolm x and sam cook are having this heated conversation malcolm x basically telling sam cook you have this amazing platform and voice and you need to use it more for the cause and you know like sam and i think sam cook says something about like you know my like songs about you know civil rights just they, they don't sell they're not successful right and right his whole thing was i want to beat them I want I want to I want to win this thing economically. So like I don't right. care. Like I don't necessarily need to literally speak the message. Like I'm killing it monetarily right. and like behind the scenes, and I'm exploiting them for money. Like right. by letting by letting the you know by letting the Rolling Stones record his songs. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I don't. It, it's, I don't. It's want genius. A... It is genius in a way. The way he yeah. did it. He says, "I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the recipe." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which I was like, damn, that's that's a dope line. Um, but then Malcolm X is like, oh yeah, well, well, he, here I just heard this song on the radio. It's like super popular, and he puts on "Blowing in the Wind" by Bob Dylan, and then right. he's like, how how can this you know white man from Minnesota write write this powerful song and you know have it chart, and you you can't you can't do that, and you find out that. That when Sam Cooke first heard that song, which I did some research and apparently it is true, when he first heard "Blowing in the Wind," he was he was mad. He was like, right. this, "This song's incredible, and I should have I should have written it." Like, right? I mean, it, the the thing that I the I mean, not that I'm in any place to criticize Malcolm X, but I think the the the, the thing that he failed to recognize is that even though. He did have a point, right, that Sam Cooke could be writing more conscientious lyrics and things like that and kind of really actively speaking about the issues that were happening. Yeah, valid point. But that doesn't invalidate what Sam Cooke was already doing with his, like, economic approach to it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that to me was, uh, like, you know, it it was believable. It was believable. I don't know if that's that's actually how the conversation went between them, but, uh, but, you know. It was very well written. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of the impetus for Sam Cooke to go and eventually write A Change Is Gonna Come. Right. Um, which is, is such an amazing song. And when Leslie Odom Jr. performs it uh, at the end of the movie, I, I, I teared up a bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there was multiple times throughout the movie when he was singing that I was, like, just like in awe he's so good <laughs> yeah and he sounded just like sam cook it was really insane insane um and then i guess talking about muhammad ali's role in the film and with malcolm x he is going through his own struggle with the decision to convert to islam and and being scared about how that would I don't know, come across to the public and... Right, I mean, the thing that really struck me was that he was only 22. Like, he was basically a kid. And I didn't realize... I mean, I knew this was early on in his career because he was still Cassius Clay, but um, that's a lot of pressure for a 22-year-old kid to have that kind of weight on his shoulders. I mean, he was... He he had just become the champ. Like, he's now 
now you're an icon like now this and that's part of the that's part of the point that Malcolm X was trying to make was like this responsibility is is going to you know what I mean you represent you represent black people regardless of whether or not you want to at this point like this now you're an icon mm-hmm. so how are you going to respond like that's I can't imagine somebody I mean I can't imagine somebody asking me to do that now forget when I was 22 <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. oh god what were we doing at 22 partying definitely definitely on boylston street definitely not changing the world no um what are your predictions for this movie in terms of award season um i think kingsley benadir he he was my favorite part of the movie i mean i wouldn't i would hope he gets nominated for something i don't know who counts as a lead and who's supporting in this movie but he deserves a nod for sure um and maybe Leslie Odom too. I, I don't know. Definitely, definitely Kingsley Benadire. I think he, he, his performance as Malcolm X was like over the top good. It was like really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. I have similar thoughts. I think, I think the two of them, for me, deserve um, acting noms. I can see it being nominated for best adapted. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and even uh, even best picture. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what the final list is, right? But, like, yeah, I could definitely see it being included in that list. Mm-hmm. And, the... uh, and I, I, don't know, I don't know who else is going to be up for Best Director, but Regina, I think for her first movie, Regina King really knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think right now for that, I've only really looked at Best Picture lists uh, predictions, and th- this has always been on most of them. But I can I can see Regina getting nominated for director as well. So yeah, on a scale of one to ten, I give One Night in Miami like a oh, like an eight and a half. Yeah, I was gonna say eight nine. Like I really yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I think it definitely the the I I think it had a great message, and it really portrayed it well, and it was well written. It was just and it was well acted, but I don't. I hope that it can convince. I hope it can change some people's minds. I but I'm very cynical these days that it will. <laughs> that the people that have the people that th- the people that aren't on board with uh, with equality, I guess, which is insane to say. Which it seems like there's a lot of people. They're not going to go see this movie, and that makes me really sad. But I it know. is what it is. <laughs> I know the people that should watch this movie uh, won't. But um, yeah, and if they did, they won't get. They won't understand it. Honestly, they've already chosen not to. But let's not get into that too much. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I, I would just like to say, we're, this this movie takes place in 1964 and the Jim Crow era. And 1964 was not that long ago, guys. Nope. Um, yeah. So the issues that they're talking about in this movie, we're still talking about today. Um, it's It's insane how how similar it is (laughs) in a lot of ways we've we've come so far in some ways and taken gone backwards in other ways it's insane yeah it the the movie is so ripe for the times that we're living in right now um and i i don't know i can't say enough good things about it i really i hope um i hope people will if you don't have prime uh amazon prime to watch it for free i hope you'll spend the extra money to watch it on demand because it's it's a 
pretty incredible one. Yeah, I really loved it. And uh, but like I said, there's also at the same time, like a little bit of sadness that that this message still needs to be delivered. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think that the story is still worth telling just because it's an inspiring story. But I wish I wish it was just an inspiring story about something that happened in the past that that wasn't so relevant. And it really sucks that it still is relevant. Yeah, I am hopeful for um, better, better times ahead. Um, we we got some big wins this past fall um, towards towards progress and things that'll set us up for um, some good wins for humanity. I feel like um, <laughs> we'll see, but we'll see. Um, we, we've only just begun, but um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. One night in Miami. Go see it. Go see it. <laughs> um, so we kind of talked about a lot of real but depressing topics. Um, yeah, inspiring but depressing. Yeah. But inspiring. So, but inspiring. So not to end things on a downer note, let's end things on a more positive. What is a good thing that happened to you this week, Greg? Um, well, as fits some of the things we've talked about in this episode, it's got to be the inauguration of our new president, our shiny new president. Our shiny new old president. Yeah, he's, yeah, shiny old. He's the oldest president. Very, very old president. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, um, that'll be, that'll also be my good thing that happened this week too. Um, a new, new beginning. I have big hopes for president joe biden um i actually do have big hopes for joe biden and i'm not afraid to admit it we got some work to do we got work to do guys um yeah. so that's a good thing that happened this week Mm-hmm. how about you um besides our new old president <laughs> yeah. biden biden let's just go let's stick with the biden answer oh uh how about we talk about our first woman vp kamala harris Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I was using Biden as like a generic, like, White House term for like victory. Mm-hmm, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Kamala. I mean, I remember thinking I saw a tweet from somebody. I think it was um, Cleo Abram from Vox. You know her? Mm, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think she tweeted and she was like, yeah, I just can't stop thinking about how today it was on the 19th. She said today is the last day ever that a woman hasn't been vice president. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And now cool. on today on the twenty first, we're two days in. We have yeah. we have one. We have one. Uh, during the inauguration, I think it was when Amy, it was when Amy Klobuchar mentioned like our first female vice president, and I just I started crying a little bit. Um, that's yeah, when, it was. That's I, I look. That was a great. That was a great moment. But Klobuchar was a little over the top. I felt. I got to be honest. <laughs> Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> yeah, she. I think I don't know. Like, the, like it was just a little cheesy. It was a little cheesy. Like her, her little intro. You know what? I could use a little cheese in my life. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's when it it became like very real. Um, was when she said that for me, and I, 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 I teared up a little bit. It was, yeah. a, it was a big day. Yeah. So. 
I was probably just being curmudgeonly, but okay. <laughs> but no, I mean, look, I feel I, I'm I'm very happy that Kamala Harris is the VP. Absolutely. I was also like one and a half mimosas <laughs> deep at that point, so. <laughs> yeah, no, but like Klobuchar, I just felt like uh, I was like you you didn't win VP. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I get it, like you're celebrating on behalf of women, I get it, but like you're bringing but, up the woman we want to hear from. Yeah. Like so, let's get on with the bringing up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like just say the name. Damn it, Amy. <laughs> well, that was our episode, listeners. Thank you for coming along with us. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think we've got uh, a real exciting one lined up for you next week. Uh, we will we'll be recording it together. We won't be remote, so it's exciting for that reason. But, safely. Uh, safely together. Yes, yeah, safely together. Um, we won't be taking any risks. And... Um, Britt, do you want to do the honors of uh, telling the people what our episode is going to be? It's a special one. It's a two-parter, guys. Um, Our next episode is part one of the Harry Potter film universe. So movies one through four. Yeah. Harry Potter extravaganza, dare I say. (laughs) I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. We're, We're figuring out exactly how we're going to work it it's definitely going to be two episodes um it's uh, a franchise that both of us love mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh it's gonna be it's gonna be good it's gonna be fun it's gonna be magical absolutely do you see what i did there <laughs> <laughs> well if you loved what you heard this episode and i know you did please like and subscribe um you can find us on instagram and twitter at friends like films and if you want, you can even email us at friendslikefilms at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.